episode 118 of the Biz Talk with Bill Roy podcast. The Wichita Business Journal created this podcast because we want to provide you with some insight into the people, places, companies, organizations, and issues that are important to Wichita's business community. Congressman Ron Estes, back in the 4th District and back on the podcast. It's the annual summer break for the House and Senate, so the congressman back talking to constituents and doing a little traveling as well. We'll talk about that. He joins me on the podcast today. We'll talk about China and the trade war, the trade agreement that replaced NAFTA, trade deal with Japan, all about the climate in Washington these days as well. First, some notes about the weekly edition of the Wichita Business Journal. The big story celebrating the great work of a lot of Wichita companies. We handed out the Manufacturing, Wholesale, and Distribution Awards this week. 16 companies and individuals honored in eight categories. Two companies overall excellence winners, BG Products and Standard Beverage. And two companies entered the Manufacturing, Wholesale, and Distribution Awards Hall of Fame, McGinty Machine and the Bradbury Company. Features on all the winners are online and in the print edition. They start on page 37. Also this week, our monthly feature on women who lead. This month, it's Women in Education. We'll tell the stories of some of Wichita's most impactful leaders. Page 17. This week's list, Wichita area commercial real estate brokerages ranked by number of full-time real estate people on staff. It's on page six. Each week we provide business leads on new real estate deals, building permits, who's setting up a new corporation, who owes back taxes, court judgments. Our leads section starts this week on page 14. Back to talk with Congressman Ron Estes in a moment. Welcome to Biz Talk with Bill Roy of the Wichita Business Journal. Talking business, your business that is, is what Equity Bank's team of bankers does best. Visit us today at equitybank.com. Congressman, welcome back. Well, great. It's great to be back and uh, be able to talk anytime I'm back in the district to be able to talk about things that are going on. Glad to have you here. You are back talking to people in the district. What's the main thing they want to know from you? Well, I think one of the things that we talk a lot about now is where we are with USMCA. Right. Uh, that's one of the things that, because of the impact uh, on trade, just South Central Kansas and Kansas in general is so impacted with trade, whether it's agriculture, uh, whether it's uh, manufacturing aerospace or or other manufacturing as well is all impacted. And that's the there. agreement that replaced NAFTA. That's right. The U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Right. Uh, you know, NAFTA was such a great thing for Kansas and such a great thing for uh, all the products, the agriculture areas as well as manufacturing. And in fact, you know, even the Kansas City Southern Railroad is uh, it's sometimes called the railroad that the NAFTA built. Because Oh, because okay. of the, right. the, the amount of product that flowed from Mexico up into Kansas City and then dispersed across the country from right. there. And so we're, we're really pushing now to get that uh, uh, agreement uh, confirmed and passed through the, through the U.S. So the, the process is it's, it's not really a, a treaty like you think about. Mm-hmm. It's more agreement that each of the three countries, Mexico, Canada, United States, all agreed to change their laws under this same umbrella agreement and then work together to help make sure that we're all three successful. Right. And so uh, there were some, NAFTA was 25 years old. Uh, there were some changes that need to be made, need to be Hard brought to up to the 21st 25 century. years. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, we're thinking back to the, all the discussions there. And right. The, uh, the heated debate back and forth about you whether bet. that's what we wanted to do or not. And, and overall, it's been great for the country. I mean, there were a couple industries that were particularly hurt, and, and there's a couple of loopholes in it, uh, particularly dealing with some of the labor content, 
specifically for autos, but other manufacturing as well that allowed, you know, com- auto companies from Asia or Europe to come in and, and turn a few bolts on a basically completed subassembly right. and then deem it a NAFTA product and, and avoid the tariffs that uh, they would have been owed. Uh, so it's, it's addressing a lot of those issues, addresses some of the issues back when NAFTA was built, Canada was... Uh, uh, trying to get their dairy industry going, so they got some special provisions for that. So it kind of levels that out now that the dairy industry is stabilized. So that's a, a positive thing for dairy industry in the United States and Mexico that compete on a fair trading ground. So. Any elements of that agreement that are particularly useful for Kansas companies? So there's several things that are that are great. One, just making sure that the agriculture bases are, are covered well. Uh, a couple of other areas deal with intellectual property. Uh, for the first time, we're adding uh, intellectual property rights, 10-year uh, agreements for biologics, uh, which will help a lot of Kansas companies that are, you know, we're seeing a growth in the uh, the medical field across a good part of Kansas, you know, the uh, the animal health corridor that right. really stretches from Manhattan to uh, to uh, Columbia, Missouri, and, and involves a lot of companies uh, from Wichita up to North to, to St. Joe in Missouri. Right. And so uh, that's a help them make sure that they maintain the 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 rights to the products that they've invented and, and right. be able to, re- to re- recover from that. Some of the manufacturing as well is going to give uh, uh, the, the better rights for North American content uh, within manufacturing companies, which is, is going to be better. And, and granted, it's, it's not all going to be for companies within the United States or in Kansas, uh, but it'll be for all North American content, which will, which will help better within the, the whole North America, all three countries. Right. Speaking of intellectual property, uh, obviously China has uh, been a big offender uh, in in taking our intellectual property, and and not just U.S., but all over the world. Uh, Talk about that trade water with China. Here we are with the tariffs, obviously. They retaliate impacts, raw materials, ag products. And I believe you had talked about early on that you're not the biggest fan of tariffs, but uh, you understand why they're being used, yeah. and hopefully it can get uh, taken care of pretty quickly. Yeah, Tar- tariffs are a tax. I mean, that's not what we want long term. Right. Uh, when you look at that, I mean, you look at it from a standpoint of free and fair trade and open markets have lifted more people out of poverty in the world uh, than anything else throughout history. So, uh, unfortunately, China has a practice of violating trade agreements that they've done, of stealing intellectual property, several cases that they've lost uh, through through that dynamics in the U.S. courts as well as uh, world courts as well. And so it's time that they acted appropriately with trade uh-huh. agreements, just like the rest of the world. If they want to be a, a free trade partner with other countries, then they need to follow those rules. And so that's the process that we're following right now to, to get them to, to the table. Now, they have a longer-term focus in China, uh, so they look at 40- and 50-year horizon right. uh, as opposed to a lot of times in the United States. From a business side, you look at the next quarter. Right. Uh, from a, a political side, you look at the next election. Right. And so uh, they're slow walking the process. Uh, they're also being purely punitive in the process that they're doing in terms mm-hmm. of, of actually targeting specific congressional districts and products within those congressional districts, whether it's wheat in Kansas or whether it's cherries in Washington State or or pecans and, and almonds in California mm-hmm. that they've specifically targeted with their retaliatory tariffs and actions. And uh, what one of the great things about 
USMCA and the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. We get that confirmed, which I think we've got the opportunity to do this fall. We've got a, a window in October and November that we can get that, and I believe it'll pass. Uh, we get it onto the floor. Uh, that puts a stake in the ground that China says, okay, U.S. is doing trade deals. They're moving forward. Japan's another country that wants a trade deal with the United States. Right. In fact, I was in office less than two months, and the Japanese embassy folks came to me and said, you know, we want to deal with the United States. We, we want to move forward here. And, you know, here I was, the lowliest member of Congress <laughs> at that point in time, and they were, they were wanting to move forward. And, and so we'll put both, I think, Japan agreement, which the framework was really discussed this, uh, announced this week at the G7 conference. So uh, that's going to be a positive thing. So that'll be another stake in the ground. We get that out there. Uh, obviously, there's work going on right now with uh, the U.K., and the uh, European Union with uh, with Britain pulling out through the Brexit process, right. then, uh, you know, our last trade agreement with Britain was early 1990s. So we've got to update that. So it's another stake in the ground. Uh, and pretty soon China's going to realize that, hey, we're surrounded with all these good trade agreements that are going on. The United States is involved in and China's not. And so that's going to have to move them forward as right. well. Seems like we have ebbs and flows. Just when we think we might be close to an agreement, here we go back again. What, what do, you, do you feel like we can have an agreement maybe in the next couple of months? That, that's their normal process. So I, I don't know that uh, my, my fear is they'll drag it out a little bit longer, certainly longer than a couple of months. Right. Uh, but typically uh, what they've done through the last two, three decades and the, the business folks and the, and the ag folks that I talk to uh, about this, when they go to make a deal, it's you get to that point and then they backtrack on things. And, and so you end up with, you negotiate with a company that's going to be your trading partner. And then all of a sudden it's got to get approved by the provincial government right. and then they approve it. And then all of a sudden the central government has to weigh in and say, no, we can't do that. And so, uh, part of it, I think it's the games that they play mm-hmm. in that whole process. And so it, one, it takes that process longer, uh, at the end of the day, they're starting to feel the pinch because, you know, China exports so much more to the United States than the United States exports to China. Right. And so the tariffs, even though they're a tax and they, they impact consumers, they impact us in, in our manufacturing operations, uh, it's, it's impacting China as well because they've got to worry about how do they keep their individual uh, citizens employed as well. And so we're seeing that impact on them. And uh, it, it'll be better for the United States. It'll be better for China. It'll be better for consumers and businesses and, and uh, agriculture commodity folks to to actually have this deal done. So China needs to come to the table and let's get this done. I would imagine you're, as you're back here, you also did some traveling. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, as you're going around the fourth district, um, I would imagine those ag producers are talking to you too, saying, "Ron, when are we going to get something done?" So, so they really do, and it's it's an impact. And like I said earlier, China's specifically targeting ag product, yep. production, and and uh, one of the things that they're playing is these games. You know, when you when you have millions of tons of grain sold in the market each day, and China comes in one day and just says, "We normally buy a million tons, but we're not going to buy any today." And what that does to the marketplace is all those producers that were expecting to have a sale that day don't. And so the prices have to drop. And and at the end of the day, the market levels out, but at a lower price. And the the people that were hurt were the the ag producers. And so the next day, the prices don't go up automatically. 
China may or may not come in, even if they do come in, the prices don't necessarily go up because the concern in that marketplace is, well, are they going to come to the table or not? Right. And so you see a a slowly ratcheting down, and, and, and this is all on top of the cyclical process of commodity prices. You know, right. our, our peak years were in 2014, 2015 for both uh, farm prices as well as oil and gas prices. And they'd already started that cyclical decline even right. before this trade discussion started. So uh, it, it is causing some impact, uh, particularly on young uh, producers that are just getting started because, uh, you know, they have to pay the mortgage on the land they bought or they have to pay the, the, the lease rate on the on the land that they're using. And unfortunately, they have to sell when those payments are due. Right. Uh, as opposed to if they didn't have to, they'd have a little bit more flexibility to wait a few days, wait wait till next month, and the prices will stabilize a little bit. But, right. uh, so it's, it's causing some impact. Uh, but... but also, what I hear in the agriculture community is that there's still support for the president to get the deal done with China because they recognize that China has been cheating on trade agreements. They recognize that if we don't do it now, uh, that there'll never be another chance to actually get the free and fair trade. And, and, and that's really what we all want at the end of the day is right. having that opportunity to, to compete to get our best products out there. Uh, Americans in general think that we're going to get our fair share mm-hmm. as long as we have fair competition, and that's the piece we're going to keep pushing for. Talk about it. We've heard a term, Section 301 investigation. Talk about that. So there's a, a couple of different uh, sections out there that the president has used to to add tariffs, and, and one of them is called 301, which basically deals with if a country basically is dumping product. And that, that's really the, the concern is that they're trying to gain market share by undercutting the true cost of what their operation is. You're talking about China in particular. China in particular yeah. with, yeah. The, with the, the Section 301 tariffs. And so, you know, when they look at, well, they want to make sure that they punish the U.S. steel and aluminum industry. So they will make steel and aluminum sell it at a lower price than they're even making it for so that it runs U.S. companies out of business, and then they can control the market. They can come back and raise prices. So the the whole point, and, and this is what so many of the trade disputes across the world come across on, is that one company is trying to, to dump or illegally promote their product into another company and, or in another country. And the president's pushing back on that, and, and so those, those 301 tariffs are designed to do that. In the meantime, what that causes is a distortion in the marketplace. Right. And, and with the tariffs added on imported products and uh, domestic product manufacturers end up making selling steel and aluminum at a price that's, that's higher to, to match what the world commodity price becomes, right. uh, then it actually increases costs for all the manufacturing companies that use steel, that use aluminum. And we use a lot of steel and aluminum, particularly in manufacturing in and around Wichita and, and South Central Kansas. You bet. Just so many things we do. So it's it's had some devastating impacts, particularly on companies that do project work, if you're if you're building a new building or, or if you're in the construction industry right. and, and you've bid a product uh, a project and you thought you were going to be able to buy the, the steel uh, I-beams and other components that you're aluminum, uh, products as well, and uh, you end up having to have a higher price for that. Then you got to figure out how do you how do you continue to run your business. China really is being kind of strategic, aren't they? And they they, they, really they know are. what what hurts us. They they really are. I mean, they're they're playing hardball is the way I look at it. They right. they don't want to 
give up that advantage they have. I mean, they view themselves as uh, the dominant country in the world, and they want to be there economically and militarily. And so uh, I, our biggest point is if you're going to be part of the civilized community in the world, then you need to follow and play by the same rules that everybody else does. Right. Uh, I asked you a little bit about being uh, on this break and uh, traveling around the district, but you've been doing a lot more traveling than that, haven't you? Talk about some of the places you've been uh, yeah. over this just over this break. So typically, you know, most months of the year we're in Washington for three weeks for a vote, and then one week we have to either be in the district or to travel around the country. Uh, August is a little bit of an exception that uh, members don't uh, don't spend time in Washington. I, I think part of it's because people don't want to deal with the humidity right. in, uh, <laughs> in the swamp there. Um, but uh, so typically we're we're not in Washington. A lot of members take that as an opportunity to to uh, travel to take their family vacation before school starts and that. But I had the opportunity this year to go to uh, Israel with the congressional trip. So every two years there's a trip to Israel. And uh, this year there were 40 Democrat members and 31 Republicans that uh, actually went to go. Uh, they invite all the freshmen and then they invite some of the, the members that have been there uh, two and three terms that didn't have the opportunity to go when they were freshmen. And, and so it, it's a phenomenal part of the world to go into the Middle East to see some of the the historical aspects and to un understand a little bit more of the, the geopolitical issues and, and how it takes with with a land that's been, over the last 5,000 years, been conquered and reconquered by different countries and different uh, different nationalities. And, and you know, in, in Jerusalem itself, the birthplace of, of the three main you know, monotheistic region, uh, right. religions in the world, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And so just being able to see that for yourself, being able to see the the layout of Jerusalem and, and the West Bank and, and how uh, the citizens there live together, both uh, uh, Israeli as well as Palestinians, uh, being able to go to the Golan Heights. And, of course, you, you know just from common military discussion that you want to have the high ground. Right. But being able to see where the Golan Heights are and the narrow neck of land and the, the farmland below that's uh, part of Israel and to be able to see what the impact is if, if you have somebody who's, you know, in the 70s and 60s and 70s and 80s have has declared that they want to uh, obliterate the country. Right. And so— that's a big push that uh, just being able to see that. Um, also, and that helps you, I would imagine, it, it does. when you're when when policy issues come up, you can harken back to those visions that you had, those things that you saw. It really Israel. does. You can look at some of those things and, and understand through that. One of the things, uh, you know, that I've I've uh, become a sponsor on as well is developing or authorizing uh, a Palestinian economic development uh, bank and basically allowing. Um, people to contribute to a fund that actually helps economic growth in the Palestinian territories. And part of my, my thought process there is, you know, if you don't have good economic development, good economic growth, you're going to end up saying, well, why shouldn't I listen to the, some of the terrorist thoughts and some of the discussions there? Why, why shouldn't I, you know, try to change the process. Right. And so, but if you have opportunities, you have a good job, you can care for your family. Uh, you, you, you know, that your parents have a, a shop and, and they're, they're doing well in their life. You're, you're less likely to, to be distracted and, and, uh, influenced by some of these, uh, negative, uh, forces that are out there. And so we want to make sure that we give people good opportunities to grow and, and develop. And so that, that's just, it's just a great knowledge, uh, learning experience for us to go through that.
Yeah, another trip too. Yeah, the the other trip was really uh, monumental from my standpoint because it talks about uh, the partnership between the Kansas National Guard and the Mississippi National Guard. So over the last uh, several years, uh, uh, the guard units have been working together. In fact, uh, they actually deployed to to Kuwait and uh, we spent almost a year there. Uh, the under the the overall. Uh, uh, armed uh, brigade combat team for Mississippi uh, with several Kansas units attached to it. So what what I really did was went down to Mississippi and there was a change of command ceremony. So for the first time, we think in history, the first time a non-Mississippian is commanding the Mississippi 155th uh, Armed Brigade Combat Team. Right. Uh, so there's a Kansas colonel, uh, uh, Jason Nelson, who's now commanding uh, the Mississippi uh, uh, brigade and the Mississippi, the former commander of the brigade, is coming to Kansas to work with the National Guard up here. And what that does is it gives both of those individuals uh, additional career experience. Uh, have a command of a, of a brigade is something that you don't get very often in National Guard. Uh, so it allows them to help develop their career, to build to build their skill sets, to be able to go to to combat when the National Guard's needed. And it also helps them uh, to get promoted along to to the rank of general and be able to to do the things they need to along the way to help that process work out. So it was great to be able to participate in that. A couple other things in the time we have left. I wanted to uh, see if you could shed any light on the progress toward getting that 737 MAX back in the air. I'm sure you're following that process pretty closely, yeah. the impact on the 4th District. So, there's, yeah, the 737 MAX issue has been a, a big impact in lots of places. Uh, obviously, here with just the, the, the amount of production that comes out of Spirit and, you know, of course— Every 737 fuselage and cockpits comes out of there, and and I was able to be at the 10,000th um, production ceremony that they had a probably a year ago now. Right. And yeah. So that's a big part of our community. So many people have had a relationship with Boeing or Spirit over the years, and and so. You know, the issue, I, I think they've narrowed down what the problem is. Now they're going through and and addressing, uh, and I believe they have the solution for it. It's working through the process with the FAA to be able to get that uh, plane back in operation so that it, it works. There were some, in some cases, some semi-major design changes to build the 737 MAX. So I think what's come out of this is is what do we uh, need to make sure that it's it continues to operate well. And, you know, our FAA system is the safest in the world, and I'll stack it up against anybody's. And, and in, in this particular instance, there's, there's an issue that uh, has, has come up and a devastating impact you know, for a couple of crashes that happened. Uh, granted, both of those were outside the United States and, and uh, in some cases with some pilots that were relatively inexperienced. So that probably contributed to the, to the issue. It sounds like what uh, the timeline looking at is at the end of the year. Uh, at least uh, in talking with the airlines uh, that that are using 737 Maxes, that's kind of where they're rescheduling their flight schedule in, in, in order to make sure that they get the planes back so that they get back into use. I know there are a lot of uh, crossed fingers <laughs> in this area, hoping that uh, that that timeline works out to where they can perhaps get back in the air before the end of the year. Yeah, and and it, it, as again, it's such a big impact for our our area of the country, and and uh, obviously want to make sure. Now, I mean, that means that there's a good working relationship between Spirit and Boeing. 
spirits continuing to, to maintain their production levels so that, uh, you know, as this gets finalized, then, you know, the, they can hit the ground running and growing right. and, and make sure that they can uh, get back up. And, and uh, in the meantime, they're still continuing to produce all the other uh, yep. 737 models. And, and uh, they're still making a lot of product. A lot of planes are still being made here in Wichita. Right. Uh, wanted to check with you on the, um, the proposal for a new medical school in downtown Wichita. We have uh, that process getting underway, accreditation. They've uh, been... Uh, had the approval to move forward from the Kansas Board of Regents. What do you think of that? Obviously, there are concerns from the folks uh, over at KU uh, Medical School in Wichita as well. Yeah, so I'm fortunate I had the opportunity last week to go tour the College of Osteopathic Medicine and and where they're rebuilding and refurbishing the the buildings downtown, uh, the old dentist uh, department store and and, uh, uh, some of the buildings around that. Uh, I think it's a great thing for Kansas to be able to do this. Uh, Their concept and what they're looking at uh, is, is phenomenal. Uh, one of the things that we all know is there's there's a shortage of doctors in the world and uh, in the country, uh, not just in the state of Kansas. Right. And and by having that uh, the college here, uh, what they're targeting and what will be more useful is to have more of these doctors that uh, ultimately establish practice in Kansas. And particularly in a lot of our rural areas that uh, there's really a critical shortage in terms of having that that uh, doctor skill set there available to to provide that medical support for people. So I'm I'm impressed with the design of what they've got, where they're at, how far along they are mm-hmm. in, in that that whole process. And obviously, there's still a lot of work to do. Uh, they're looking at uh, the next classes or class would start in 2021. And so they've got to go through the crediting process and get uh, get that fired up so that they can they can keep moving forward. Right. Any idea what your predecessor is going to do? So, you know, I don't know. He, he's Mike Pompeo is such a skilled individual. I mean, and, and he's doing such a great job for the country as Secretary of State. I do know his name's getting thrown around a lot. I right. think he's getting, he's getting his arm twisted by a lot of different people <laughs> in terms of uh, what he should do with the next thing in his career. And I know he'll be good at, uh, at whatever he chooses to do. And, and so uh, I don't know whether that'll be continue Secretary of State or be the, the next U.S. Senator from Kansas or right. – you know, be president of the United States if that's the next thing he wants right. to do as well. How do you feel about the climate in Washington? You know, you've you've been around politics a long time, uh, and you've watched. It seems like more and more we can't agree to disagree anymore. It's and then we end up as enemies. Can we can we reestablish the climate of where we can all get along? That, that's kind of a tough part, and, yeah. it, and it gets it gets into several different dynamics. You know, part of it I think. Actually, the ease of air travel has made it a little bit more expected that you stay in your district and you live in your district, mm-hmm. which is you know what I'm doing. And you know, our uh, Susan and my youngest child is still as a junior in high school, mm-hmm. uh, still in Andover school systems over there. But uh, uh, you know, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, more members actually lived in Washington. They lived on the same streets, Republicans and Democrats. Their right. kids went to the same schools, played on the same little league teams. So you, you end up having a little bit more of a good working relationship. And and that's one of the things that I learned even back as in, in the business world, that having that working relationship, you end up trusting somebody's intent a little bit more because you understand them and, and where they're coming from. Uh, and that's tough. That's missing a lot today with us not spending much time together. We've got to figure out better ways to, to rebuild that, that, that trust and that, that working relationship. Part of it comes from the, the politics stuff. Is it, It's easier to campaign by making M 
the, the voters hate you right. more than they dislike me, and, right. and you're trying to make them hate me more than they dislike you. And so at the end of the day, voters vote against somebody right. instead of voting for somebody more often. And so uh, we've got to change that dynamic some. The 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 media, particularly the 24-hour news cycle, yep. doesn't help either because there's really not a quality 24-hour news to be talked about. And so you end up getting uh, newscasters that uh, spend a lot of time with opinions and, and editorializing, which, which then opens up a much more subjective thing, and it's less less fact based. Mm-hmm. And uh, being an engineer and somebody who's looking to solve problems, you kind of have to start with the facts to be able to say what are, what is the problem you're trying to solve, and right. how, how do you solve that? So I think if we can figure out better ways to get uh, more working relationships, more time spent together, uh, that'll help with a lot of that problem. When do you have to head back? So we'll be back the Monday after Labor Day, okay. uh, and and back. And September is going to be a, a busy month uh, with uh, the twenty. 2020 fiscal appropriations bills have to be approved uh, by the end of September. Uh, that's not going to be done for those. Also, by the end of September, we have to have the Export-Import Bank mm-hmm. uh, expire, right. so it's got to be reauthorized, uh, and the National Flood Insurance Program also expires at the end of September. So uh, those will be the things we're looking at, and then I think October, November, we've got some time that we can look at uh, USMCA, get that passed on the floor. And, and I, I think once we get it on the floor, it'll get over 300 votes, which is kind of one of those things you, you want for a bill that's right. uh, so good for the country. Right. Fourth District Congressman Ron Estes, thank you so much for being here again on the podcast. Hope you'll come back and we'll see you in maybe another few months and get another update on what's going on in Washington. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Back in a moment. At Equity Bank, stories of growing businesses are a favorite of ours, so we created our own little series called Napkin Stories. Visit EquityBank.com to see how some great businesses got their start. That's it for Biz Talk with Bill Roy this week, episode 118. Check out all our episodes at our Biz Talk with Bill Roy hub. It's at wichitabusinessjournal.com. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Biz Talk with Bill Roy is a production of the Wichita Business Journal. Thanks to producer Brittany Showalter. And thanks very much to our sponsor, Equity Bank. Have a profitable week.